Good morning, everybody. Yes, please take a seat. Hello, my name is Kyle. And I'm Jarissa. We are glad to be with you this morning. Just want to let you know about a couple of things happening um, in the life of the church. First of all, um, some of you may be new to Fairfax, um, or maybe you've only been here um, just a little while, and you're wondering, you know, what is the church all about? How do I get connected? Um, what does that look like? And we want to invite you out to um, one of our welcome parties that's coming up. It's coming up very soon. It's on August 7th, okay? It's just an opportunity for you to ask questions, um, find out what's happening in the church, um, all kinds of things like that. So if you're new, or if you've only been here for a little while, we invite you to do that. One super easy way to do that is to scan the QR code that's by your seat, and that will help you do that. By the way, this is a great opportunity. I noticed a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about scanning the QR code that a lot of people in the sanctuary were like, what? Where is that? I don't know where that is. Can, can we do that together this morning for a second? All right, if you have your phone, I want you to get it out. All right, if you have your phone, I want you to get it out. And I'm gonna come down here and be with you guys, okay? Here's what we're gonna do, okay? Is it okay if I sit right here? Do you mind for a second? Can I sit right here? I'm just gonna sit beside you. Okay, here's what we're doing, are you ready? Okay, everybody has their phone, right? Everybody hold your phone up so I can see that you're not cheating. Everybody has, okay, now, if you're, if you're sitting in the chair, I want you to look forward, okay? I want you to look forward and to the right, and you're gonna see a little QR code on the brown handle, the brown place where you rest your arm. Everybody see that? Everybody got it? Okay, all right, good, good. I want you to scan it. Go ahead and scan it and see what happens. If you're sitting in the front row, there's like a little card you can scan and there's one in front of your seat right there. Everybody got it? Everybody do it, did it work? All right, all right, very good, good. Now, every time when we talk about this and you're like, what are they talking about? Where can I get this more information? You're gonna have it, right? Do you all feel better? I feel better. You feel better? Okay, all right, thank you so much for helping us out on that. Anytime that we're talking about an announcement and you're like, I want more information about that, that's the super easy way to do it. Yeah, super helpful tutorial. Yes, thank exactly, <laughs> yes, thank you. All right, so if we have a team of fantastic volunteers that come together each weekend to make Fairfax happen. And now that summer is in full swing, our Fairfax Kids team is looking for volunteers for their elementary, preschool, and special needs classrooms. So if you are at all interested in this opportunity, I encourage you to scan the QR code or go out to the lobby and you can sign up there. Parents, we've got a really important um, uh, conference that's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's actually a night where we're just gonna talk about um, how do we help our kids navigate um, technology and being online and things like that, okay? It's called Raising Discerning Kids. Um, it's a great opportunity to come and kind of find out what's out there, what sites might our kids be on that we don't even know. Um, we invite you to come out to that. It's coming up very, very soon. Um, it's on August 10th at seven o'clock. Again, very easy to sign up, scan the code, or you can go on the website and sign up for that. Yeah, and so we are accepting applications for an online pastor. We want to continue to be more loving to our people and see them raised to life in Christ. And an online pastor will serve as a key leader in our community that will help us to develop the online community even further. So if you're interested in learning more about this position or applying yourself, you can scan the QR code and find the link to sign up for that. 
Hey, I just got back um, about um, less than a week ago um, from our student ministry mission trip. And this is an opportunity for our high school kids to go and serve somewhere in the United States and then go to a conference that's amazing. It's called IYC. And we just got back from that. And one of the things that's incredible about that is just the spiritual growth that happens in those four or five days where we're all together and we're connecting. Um, you would just love to see our teenagers walking through the streets of San Antonio, Texas, singing worship songs, okay? It was awesome. It was an incredible night. And we also um, had a, a, just an amazing night of, of sharing um, in our circle time where we could just open up and talk about things in a very real way. And I tell you all that because your giving, <laughs> the money that you give to this church helps us do these kinds of things that helps our teenagers grow and understand who Christ is. And so I just personally want to thank you for the way that you give to this church, um, that you sponsor all these things that we can do to allow us to take our kids out and help them to grow better. Um, all the things that you give, all the ways that you give help us do that. Um, and we really do really appreciate that. Super easy to give around here. Um, if you haven't done that, you've been thinking about doing it. There's some boxes in the back you can give online. We encourage you to make that part um, of your walk this morning. Last thing, haha, new series that we are starting today, okay? Excited about this series in First John. Um, it's starting today. And if you will direct um, your attention to the screen, we'll get started on that. series this weekend. I love when we uh, can launch a new series, and I hope that the journey through a book of the Bible is uh, helpful for you as you kind of navigate your own spiritual journey. Uh, this is an eight-week study that's in First um, John. First uh, John was written by uh, the Apostle John, uh, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and uh, it was written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of John. Many commentators believe that when John wrote it, that he was actually the last apostle living at that time. And 1 John was written around 85, 95 AD. Uh, so John is a pretty old guy at this point. He was a young guy when he was part of the 12 and following Jesus. And now years have passed and he's kind of an elder statesman in the church and was probably written from the city of Ephesus. And it was written to a number of house churches to warn them about the increasing threat of false teachers who were infiltrating the church and teaching 
things uh, basically about Jesus, that Jesus was not the son of God and that it's a different kind of understanding of who God is. So he writes this to counteract the false teaching uh, that's coming into the church and to help the people in the churches understand the true character of God. John knows something. He knows that behavior flows out of belief and he's convinced that God's character helps shape our own character. That if we understand God's character, that it will help us to live out the life of character that God has created us to live. His main theme in the book, and I'm just gonna kinda give you an overview before we jump into it today. His main theme in the book is that God is both light, truth, and love. Light exposes the darkness. Light is what helps us to discern between right and wrong, between good and bad, between better and best. Light is what helps us to live the kind of holy lives that God has created us to live, to live out and reflect the holiness of God. And love is actually, according to John, and really according to scripture, love is the product of light. Uh, It's the product of truth. According to John, it's impossible to love the way that God wants us to love if your view of God is perverted, if your view of God is distorted in some way. That without truth, we will love the wrong things and we will love in the wrong way. In other words, love without truth is not really love, and truth without love is not really true. That truth and love are inextricably connected. So if you wanna understand 1 John, that is the key idea, that truth and love are inextricably connected to each other. And John says that in Jesus, we see that character of God on full display, that in Jesus, we see both the light, God's light, God's truth, and we see God's love. And for those of us who follow Jesus, John says that we should become a community, that our calling is to become a community of light and love. And I think it's incredibly timely message. It's why I wanted to do it as we kind of go through this summer season, because in a world that is filled with such overwhelming darkness and is so often devoid of love and overwhelms us in how devoid of love at times it can be, this is just the kind of community that is desperately needed. Okay, that's a little bit of overview on the book of 1 John. Today I wanna look at 1 John 1. It's only 10 verses, and it begins this way. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. (laughs) We have seen it. We have seen the life. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen, 
with our own eyes what we have heard with our own ears so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. John um, begins this letter by reminding his readers that Jesus is the eternal Word of God, that he is the Son of God, he is the Word of life, and that Jesus is someone that John has seen with his own eyes. He has touched with his own hands. He has heard the things that Jesus has taught with his own ears. In other words, John is letting us know that this stuff that he's about to tell us in this letter that he wrote to these churches is about something that he has actually witness to that this is a God who has entered into this world and he has actually seen. And then he reminds them that the purpose of his sharing all this with them is so that they might experience the same kind of intimate fellowship with God that he's experienced. In other words, he's saying, this is the joy that I've experienced and I want you to experience this same kind of overwhelming joy. Now, we live in a culture that is overwhelmingly or increasingly at least hostile to that idea. Hostile to the idea of what we would call evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with someone in the hopes that they will experience the good news for themselves. In fact, our culture has a not so positive word to describe that proselytizing. And proselytizing is generally viewed as a bad thing in our culture and not a good thing. But the reality is that that's, that's the way we're wired. Like we are wired to share the good stuff that we experience with others. When we see a hilarious video on YouTube and we can't stop laughing at it, like we share it with others, when we hear an amazing song that we've maybe never heard before that we absolutely love, we share it with others. When we find an incredible place to eat that has some of the best food that we've ever experienced in our lives, we share it with others. That's what we do. Like when we experience great stuff, we share it with others. We want people to share the good things that we have experienced. And John is saying the exact same thing. He's saying that he has experienced this intimate fellowship with God. He has experienced this joy that he's never experienced before. And it's an intimate fellowship that he has never known. It, it, it's a joy that he didn't even think was even possible to experience. It's something that he had never experienced until he met Jesus. And he wants other people to experience that same joy. That's why he says, we write this to make our joy complete. That's his reason in writing this letter. We write this to make our joy complete. He's saying nothing in the world would bring me more joy than for you to experience the same joy that I've experienced. And that is the heart of evangelism. 
Like that is the heart of sharing the gospel. It's not about judging people. It's not about trying to get people to buy something that they really don't want to buy. Like we're not marketing Jesus like companies market their products. We're not trying to convince people that they need something that they really don't need or that they really don't want. And it's definitely not about trying to get someone to just change teams, which is so often the way that we think about evangelism. It's just like we're trying to get them to change teams. Evangelism is about loving someone so much that you want them to experience the same joy, the same intimate fellowship with this God who has taken on flesh and come to earth that you have experienced. So that's John's purpose in writing the letter. And what he basically does for the rest of the letter is talk about the things that get in the way of that. To talk about the things that keep us from experiencing intimate fellowship with God. To talk about things that keep us from experiencing overwhelming joy. And this is the way he starts, verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John is saying that one of the problems that keeps us from experiencing intimate fellowship with God, one of the things that keeps us from experiencing incredible joy is the darkness in the world and the darkness in our own hearts. Now what John is reminding us of is that the reality of darkness is actually way bigger than we think. In fact, it's so big that we don't even realize it's there because when something is so big that it's everywhere, when something is so big that it's all around, when something is so big that it just kind of consumes you, we get used to it. We're in the midst of it and we don't even realize that we're in the midst of it. And that's true with darkness. It's, it's like air. Most of the time you don't think about air because it's everywhere. With every breath we consume it and we don't even think about the fact that we are consuming it. The only time you really think about it is when you don't have access to it. When you can't breathe and then you think a lot about air and the need for air, and the importance of air, and, and the fact that air is something that you need right at that moment. And the same is true with darkness. It's everywhere. It's so pervasive that we just become numb to it. Like we don't notice it anymore. We, it becomes normative. And John says, that's the problem. The problem with the darkness is we don't think there's a problem with the darkness. That's John's point. So we stop asking the important questions. Questions like, why do human beings treat each other the way they treat each other? 
Why do people do things that hurt other people and sometimes hurt themselves? Why do we sometimes do things that hurt other people or hurt ourselves? Why do people sometimes let us down? Why do we sometimes let other people down? Why do we sometimes let ourselves down? And even the people we believe will never ever let us down will eventually let us down. They will eventually abandon us. How? They will die. And in many ways, we've just come to terms with that. We have said, that's just the way things are. We're born, we go to school, we get a job, we get in massive amounts of debt, we get out of debt, and then we die. Welcome to Fairfax. There's a brokenness. There's a brokenness in our hearts. There's a brokenness in our relationships. There's a brokenness in creation itself. It's not the way that God created it to be. Everything is decaying. Everything ultimately ends in loss. And it's become so normative that we don't even see the darkness in that. And the darkness is so great. It's so pervasive. It's so much a part of our experience that we don't even see it. We just say that's the way things are. We can't even imagine. We can't even get our minds around the idea of a world where that is not true. A world where there is something more than that. But John sees the darkness and he addresses the darkness. And his message is both incredibly pessimistic and incredibly optimistic. That's true, by the way, not just with John, but with the gospel. The gospel message itself is incredibly pessimistic at one level and incredibly optimistic at another level. The pessimism in the gospel is the declaration that we can't get out of the darkness on our own. Sometimes we think that if we just do this or we just do that, if we just do this other thing, then all the darkness will stop. If we commit to ending this, or if we commit to ending that, or we commit to ending this other thing, that all of the darkness will go away. But the gospel says that we can't end the darkness on our own. We can't get out of the darkness on our own. We can't fix the darkness on our own. In fact, the message of the gospel is that all of the campaigns, all of the initiatives, all of the movements to end the darkness will ultimately fall short. So on one hand, the gospel is incredibly pessimistic. But on the other hand, the gospel is the most optimistic, hope-filled message that you will ever hear. Because the gospel says that you can be in relationship with the one who has already obliterated the darkness. 
that you can be in relationship with the one who has entered into this world through the person of Jesus Christ and ended the darkness forever. Now here's the tension that we face in all of that. We haven't yet realized this destruction. We haven't yet realized the destruction of the darkness in all of its fullness. That won't happen till Jesus comes back the second time. But for those of us who follow Jesus, the one who destroyed the darkness by what he did on the cross, we have been called to give the world these amazing glimpses of what's to come. That's our mission, to give the world these amazing glimpses of what's to come in all of its fullness. When Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he wasn't saying go out and put an end to the darkness. He was saying the darkness, this darkness has already been destroyed. Now go out and give the world a glimpse of what is to come. He was saying don't you dare, don't you dare accept the darkness as normative. He was saying every chance you get to bring light into dark spaces in this world, do it. He was saying rail against the darkness. Rail against the darkness in Fairfax. Rail against the darkness in this country. Rail against the darkness in the world. And rail against the darkness in your heart. And that's what John focuses on next the darkness that's in our own heart. And he says this about that darkness. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth, the light is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Now John says that we can't experience the light if we aren't willing to admit our own darkness. In fact, it's our willingness to confess confess the darkness that sets us free to experience the light. It sets us free from the darkness. And that that is so counterintuitive because we tend to work with the assumption that if if we confess, if we acknowledge the darkness in our heart, that it somehow becomes more real. (laughs) It's the thing that keeps us from going to the doctor and getting tests run and making sure that everything is okay and getting scans and all of that kind of stuff. Like we just work under this assumption, if I don't know that it's there, it's not there. And that somehow if I acknowledge that it's there, somehow if I confess that it's there, it makes it somehow more real. That it will cause us to 
deal with more guilt, that it will cause us to deal with more shame, that it will cause us to deal with uh, lower self-esteem. But John is saying that just the opposite of that is true. That when we confess the darkness, we are actually set free from the darkness. That the guilt is removed, that the shame is gone, that our sense of self is actually healthier. That we're actually able to be the person that God created us to be. So John says, go ahead, confess the darkness, confess your sins and walk in the light. A lot of people um, want to see God as just like all love. And God is love. Later in the book, that's what, that's what John says. God is love. But John also says that God is light. That God is holy. That God is true. And unless you embrace the idea that God is light, then Jesus dying on the cross will never make sense to you. Because it's God's holiness it's his goodness, it's his righteousness that defines his love. If you're a parent and you raise your child with just love and no light, no boundaries, no parental authority, never say no, that's not really loving because it's the light that defines the love. It's the light and the child's failure at times to walk in the light that makes them aware of their need for forgiveness and mercy and grace. No light, no forgiveness. No light, no mercy. No light, no grace. And John is saying the same is true with our relationship with God. That when you see God as just love, and not light, you'll never understand your profound need for forgiveness and mercy and grace. That the same thing will happen to you. No light, no forgiveness. No light, no mercy. No light, no grace. On the other hand, when you see God as just light, and some of you grew up perhaps in churches that just focused on the light, the holiness of God, and not so much on the love of God. If you see God as just light, as just holy, and not as love, a love that manifests itself by dying for us on the cross, you may live a pretty moral life, but there will always be this sense that something is wrong. This sense that no matter what you do, you will never measure up. This sense that you are never, never enough. And some of you perhaps have lived a significant portion of your lives with that sense that you are never, that when it comes to your relationship with God, that you are never, ever enough. That's why John wraps, uh, wraps this section up with what he says at the beginning of chapter two. Remember. In scripture and in these letters, the chapter divisions and the headings and all of that weren't there in the letter. They were just all one letter. And actually, the 
beginning of chapter two is like the conclusion of his thought process in chapter one. And this is what he says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. John doesn't want us to sin. He wants us to live lives that are holy and righteous and just and reflect the holiness of God. But he also knows that sometimes we fall woefully short of that. That sometimes we fail. That sometimes we let God down and sometimes we let people that we love immensely down. That sometimes we let ourselves down. But that doesn't mean that we have to be defined by those failures. That doesn't mean that we have to wallow in guilt and shame. That doesn't mean that we are doomed to a life of feeling like we never quite measure up. Because as John puts it, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus has taken all of our failures, all of our brokenness, all of our guilt, all of our shame, and nailed it to the cross. That on the cross, Jesus took on our darkness so that we could take on his light. And when you embrace that, when you embrace what Jesus did for you on the cross, it will give you an inner security and holy confidence that will change your life forever. Because even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of the darkness in this world, even in the midst of the darkness within our own heart, it will allow you to walk in the light. God, we are so thankful for what Christ has done for us on the cross. We're so thankful for his grace and his mercy and his love that was demonstrated in his willingness to embrace our brokenness, our lostness, our darkness so that we could walk in the light. Lord, we celebrate you today. We acknowledge you today. We praise you today as the Lord of all, the Lord over the darkness, the King over the darkness. And we give you praise and honor in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's stand together.